The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning and welcome back. Okay, Refuge Church. Let's do this. You know what I would recommend is exchanging numbers so you can do this throughout the week. Because it just seems like you have a lot to catch up on on Sunday mornings. So, Okay, hey, a couple things before we we get started. Um, The first is if you were wondering what was happening here, there was a coffee spill. And so we had to clean it up. So, um, and the second thing is, uh, you know, and I just want to say this all the time. We've, we've got a lot of kids. A couple weeks ago, we had uh, between the the nursery area and upstairs, we had twenty kids in in kids church. And so, um, that's amazing. And because of that, um, you're going to see a lot more dancing probably on Sunday mornings. I know a lot of you guys came from Baptist backgrounds. You don't do that. That's okay. But the, the kids uh, will do that, and, and we celebrate that, we want that, it's not distracting, um, you know, we don't want to put them away, so, uh, so they, they worship with us that first part, and then they get to go upstairs and learn the catechism, or, or go over, and, and Melissa's slowly introducing them to puppets, so she can do puppet, puppet uh, shows about uh, different gospel stories, so great stuff. Before I get started and preach, though, I'm going to have my mom come up and share um, a really cool story, a a little bit about uh, her and my dad's story and how that's come to uh, the modern day. So, Bob, can we get this mic? Got it? Yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to actually read this because I wanted to make sure that um, I got it all straight. And since we are on... Um, Facebook Live and YouTube and all that. I'm not going to give you the location because it's a kind of a security issue where we lived. And um, but if you want to know more, you can ask me in person. So 38 years ago, Dave and I left the U.S. to live, and our kids left to live in um, among an unreached people group in Asia. We joined together with about eight other missionary families to live among these people with hopes of planting a church and translating the Bible into their language. It was a people group of about one million with possibly two or three believers, an unreached group. It was a spiritual stronghold of the evil one, and the evil one did all he could to drive us all out. And over the course of a few years, he won. All of us were forced to leave, either because of health or because of safety issues. One of our team members was actually murdered. Some of us had to return to the States. A couple of families moved to another location, a safe location, where they could work on translating the scriptures into these unreached people's language. There were two, three, and then four individuals from the people group who agreed to come to this safe location to help with the translation. Years have passed, yet over those years, God has moved. He has begun calling these people to himself. Despite hardships and trials, 
these people are coming to salvation. Friday night, I had the absolute amazing privilege, and Melissa was with me. She's over with the kids. And we participated over Zoom in the dedication of the completion of the New Testament in the language of this people group. It was absolutely fantastic. You guys, you got to clap better than that. <laughs> it was amazing. I listened to the four individuals who helped with the translation share how Jesus had saved them, how powerful God's word is, and how God is moving among these, these people, my people. They spoke of their new translation of God's word into their language being read and taught in local mosques. During the dedication, um, what, uh, uh, I lost my train here. Oh, okay, anyway. There was 1,000 copies made of this first translation, of this translation, and all of them have been spoken for. God is breaking down the stronghold. He is on the move. It is such a thrill to celebrate this miracle, and that's why I wanted to share it with you. It is still a place of much political unrest, but God's word is shedding light into his darkness, and people are turning. Oh, here's the rest of the sentence that was broken. It's on the side. I'm backing up. <laughs> During the, oh, this was very cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. During the dedication, one man chanted the scriptures in a manner that was very traditional for them. It's the way they would chant the Quran when they were in the mosque, but he chanted the scriptures in this language. It was so powerful as he was proclaiming God's truth. So then the first printing of a thousand copies are all spoken for. God is breaking down the stronghold and he is on the move. It is such a thrill to celebrate this miracle. It is still a place of much political unrest, but God's word is shedding light into the darkness, and people are turning to that light. Yes, God is on the move. And I just had to share that with you. So I would like to start by praying that God's word, which does not come back empty, uh, would just bless that people. And like my mom said, uh, her and my dad were, were part of that early work. And um, if you would like to, there's a thousand copies printed. Uh, I believe we have information that if you would like to give money for more copies to be printed, uh, we have information for that. I thought it would be a, a great, um, in memory of my dad, gift just to help this, this Bible, this new translation be spread throughout the, the people. So let's pray. Guys, we hear your word today, the word that many of us grew up with, that has been, maybe even the way we learned our language. God, help us not take it for granted. And hearing this story, just treasure it and be amazed by the gift it's been to be so familiar with your truth through the written word. God, we pray for this people. It reminds me of prophecy of Jesus' coming, that they were long living in darkness. Your word can now be among them in printed form. 
God, we pray you'll give courage to the believers in this area, since it is still not safe to follow you there. God, give them courage. And I pray that that these seeds, these Bibles that uh, that go out, God, they'll bear incredible, incredible fruit. We thank you for the faithfulness of the missionaries from the beginning to now. God, as your people here in Bremerton right now, um, God, we just celebrate uh, our brothers and sisters over there. We love you. We probably sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our introduction to the sermon series, A Greater Affection. How far will you follow Jesus? If you want to follow Jesus, you must be ready for the wilderness. The wilderness is a place of preparation, it is a place you face your greatest temptation. It can be a lonely, scary place, but it is not a place without God because God promises to never leave us or forsake us. God is there, but we must choose his way, the way of a greater affection. When we are presented with the temptation of other options, in the series we watch Jesus face his greatest temptation and then choose to obey the Father every time. Let's learn from his victory and find victory in our lives today. Amen. So uh, we are coming into the second temptation of Jesus here in Luke 4. And um, I got this picture while I was preparing uh, to preach this of, of Satan as a hunter. I mean, you really see him strategically hunting Jesus here. And I don't have a lot of experience with hunting. I'm not a hunter. I, I have duck hunted once, um, and I was just the guy walking with the gun. I didn't get to shoot. Um, that is the extent of my hunting experience. But I, I live with a hunter. Um, and I'm not talking about Hannah. Hunter, Hannah's not a hunter. Um, I have a, a picture, actually, of our, our brave hunter here. Um, so not the one on the right, it's the one on the left. So, um, this was just the most recent picture on my phone of our hunter, Neil, who's our puppy, now now a full-grown golden retriever who descended from wolves. And we forget that sometimes because, as you can see, he is is very calm at times and very affectionate, but we we learned better when we had the bright idea a couple years ago of getting chickens. And, you know, like... You know, trying to be the full gentleman farmer, I, uh, we got four chicks from Wilco, or not from Wilco, from a friend. We were going to get them from Wilco. We got them from a friend of my mom's. Brought them home, the whole thing, you know, put a heat lamp over them, and then every day, we would, we would, I would pick up Neil and, and bring him down to our basement because he, he wouldn't go down to the basement because he, he disguises himself as a scaredy, but he is, he is not. So, uh, we would go down to the basement and we would hold the chicks and he would sniff them and he'd lick them. He was very affectionate. At least that's what we read into his licking. And, and so we would, we would spend all this time together. And then um, this went on for a couple weeks and then Hannah was gone and I was, I was teaching a seminary class and uh, I just got done. It was over Zoom. This is 2020. 
and <clears throat> uh, brought the chicks upstairs, let them like kind of go out in the sunlight, you know, I brought Neil out. I thought, we are a, we are a happy family now. Uh, we, we get along. And so Neil came out, and he was, he, he was around them, and it was all peaceful until all of a sudden, in, in, like lightning, Neil, <laughs> and, and I looked down, and all I could see was, yeah, and, but it was moving, and I thought, that's hopeful. And so I literally <laughs> pick up Neil, and I start trying to choke him out. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and he, and this 90-pound dog, and I'm, I'm like, Neil, and he will not let this chick go. I, I am like swinging him, you know? And uh, he won. He ate the chick. And um, I, I should have forewarned you. This is... Sorry, chill. if you have children here, it's, I'm just teaching them about life. But, but what I learned was that Neil was playing us. You know? He was pretending to be cool but he was patiently stalking his prey. And by the, by the time he got one in his mouth, it was over. Now, like, <laughs> that's really my only real hunting story, so you can tell <laughs> I didn't really grow up in a, you know, that kind of family. But, um, <laughs> but, but Jesus is being hunted here, right? Like, when you are getting stalked, when, the, when the, the bait is put out, when the trap is set, by the time the, the attack happens, you got to be ready. That chick was not ready. No. Yeah, not, not at all ready. That chick had no idea what was going on. Um, now, what we see in, in the story today isn't, and it's, it's really interesting because we do hear about Satan being a, a prowling lion or a roaring lion, right? He's, he's one that is scary, intimidating, but here... In these stories, it's fascinating to read because there is not direct confrontation. Like oftentimes we think it will be obvious when the attack comes, but, but it is not. In some ways, Satan poses as a friend. He poses as someone who's giving a great gift. That's what it appears like in this story. And Satan ultimately guises himself, disguises himself in this way, and and it's deceptive because he is not going in for what we would assume to be the kill. That does happen later in the crucifixion of Jesus. But here, he's not going for a physical kill. He's literally going for a spiritual kill. And the spiritual kill today is worship. That our spiritual life and our spiritual death depends on what we worship. And as we read the verses here, you'll see exactly that. Luke 4, 5 to 8. If you have your Bibles, you just want to read along with me. Either way is great. This is the temptation. The devil led Jesus, him, up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, our spiritual life and death depends on who or what you worship. What do you worship? 
I think what we see today is, I mean, this kind of is a summary of Jesus' response, which just seems like almost passive in the way he delivers it, that Jesus was so busy worshiping God that he wasn't impressed by Satan. And, And I think as we read what Satan presents, we probably would have been extremely impressed by him. So, the devil's making a run at Jesus. The devil doesn't give up after what Abraham preached on last week, after he's been rebuffed once. The devil is a skilled, patient hunter. He knows his prey. He knows their hunger and desires. And he waits until they're weak. The place of the hunt is this. He takes Jesus from the location where he's at, which is a place of destitution and hunger. And he brings Jesus up to an impressive place. It says a high place. This new location is one where he can dazzle Jesus. Satan in this, and and this is really important, Satan is impressive. Sometimes we can, you know, we picture him as as this easy to cast off thing or individual or person, right? It's this like red being with horns. Now that's not Satan, right? That's not the the devil. You've got Satan here is extremely impressive and he performs a supernatural feat in which in a a moment, all the kingdoms of the world, it says in in this fleeting moment, all the kingdoms of the world, all their splendor, power, beauty, all of it is brought before Jesus. And this is the world that God loves. Satan's not just throwing Jesus a softball here. (laughs) The whole reason Jesus came was because Jesus loves this world that he is seeing in a moment, and his whole goal of coming is is to rescue the world that he loves. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. And this is the world that Jesus is watching pass before his eyes. This is not an easy temptation for Jesus. We can't read it that way. We can't read as if it doesn't matter. Jesus is seeing it. And the, the picture that came to mind for me was, uh, you know, when, when Hannah and I go on a date or, or when we are away, it could even be at night after Elliot goes to bed. What, what do we do? We look at pictures of Elliot. Right? And that's sort of what Satan's doing for Jesus. The kingdoms of the world are going in front of him. And Jesus is like, these are the ones that I love. Wow, you know, it's just this incredible sight for Jesus. Now, what do we know about Satan? I think, or the devil here, I think what we know about him is, is wrapped up in, um, in verse uh, six and seven, where he says this, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will be yours. I think it's captured here where he says, it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone. Satan is impressive. There is something about impressive people that makes us want to listen to them. And Satan in this story, is that person. If you're going to just look at Satan and Jesus, or the devil and Jesus, side by side, this is what you'd see. You'd see Jesus, who has had 40 days of fasting, weak, dirty, hungry, unimpressive Jesus. That's what you'd see if you looked at Jesus. 
If you looked at the devil here, you'd probably see someone standing tall, broad shoulders. Somebody they walk in the room and immediately you want to listen to the person and you are almost just convinced by the presence regardless of what they say. You know those people that you, you're just, man, they almost don't have to say a word. And you're like, wow, I'm already impressed. And that, that is what the devil looks like in this scenario. And he says accurately, it has been given to me and I can give it to you. Accurately, but he's partly bluffing, right? The question I was asking as I read this was, does the devil actually have this kind of power? Now, the devil is a supernatural and powerful being. And he is spoken of in the scripture as being the prince of this world. Look at John 12, 31, 14, 30, 16, 11. And it refers to him as the prince, the prince of this world. 1 John 5, 19 says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So there's, there's a truth in this, that all the world is under the control of the evil. When the question that then came was, well, how did he get this power? Was this always his power? And I think it's twofold. God did grant Satan, or the devil, along with angels, a tremendous amount of power. But the, the answer to that question, I think, really comes from, from the other temptation we're meant to see as a mirror or, or a comparison to this, which is the temptation of Adam and Eve, which is where the devil really got his power. As the, the devil approaches Adam and Eve, who have been entrusted with what? They've been entrusted with the care, taking, the stewardship, and literally the rule over earth, the rule over the garden. And, and when the devil comes, and like he approaches Jesus, he approaches very impressive, confident in the way he speaks, asking bold questions. Is this really what God says? And in considering what he said, as Jesus considers what the devil said, Eve saw, and Adam then would see also, that the fruit, that the lie, that what he was offering was good for food, delighting to the eyes, and desirable for gaining wisdom. Or as it says later in 1 John, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And when Adam and Eve agreed with his terms, or agreed with what he was saying, they ultimately gave up their rulership, their stewardship, their power over earth. So who gave the devil, his power. You can say we did. (laughs) We abdicated our role as those who rule, as those who care for and protect earth, one another. We gave that to him. And so when, when the devil says, I will give this to you, he does have power, but limited power to give what he ultimately can give. This is who the hunter is. Understand who the hunter is. (laughs) So so where it starts here, and and 1 Peter says, right, be alert and sober. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around. He looks for who he can devour. Be aware of who he is. Now, that's who the hunter is, but but we're going to move on. I just want to show you what his bait is for Jesus and then the trap he sets for him. The bait is this, and it's, the, the words are, powerful here. The word is authority and splendor he gives here, right? He says, he says, uh, I will give you all their authority and I will give you 
all their splendor. He's speaking to the two most basic human desires, which is the desire for influence and the desire to impress. Does that speak to you? Authority. Have you ever had the desire simply to be heard and responded to? How many of us feel small and insignificant? We feel powerless. We, we want to move from anonymity, where nobody knows our name, to notoriety, where everybody knows me, respects me, and they listen to what I say. Wouldn't that be great? If I had that authority, that when I spoke, people would just do what I said. Now, in a rebelling word, world, Jesus did want authority. He did want authority, and what would he do with his authority? He would ultimately save with that authority, but it is not the way Satan would give it to him. Satan could make Jesus a king on an earthly throne with an empire more vast than Rome, but he would only be a puppet leader, and the people would remain slaves. The second thing, splendor, is this. I think of... um, our beauty pageants we have today. Everything is show extravagance. We literally call these people models. Isn't that interesting? Model of what? Well, model of what we think is the most beautiful and best and splendid. The splendor of the world. We all deeply want to be liked and to have others admire us. But Jesus... As I said, if you can contrast Jesus with the devil here, he is so unimpressive, and he was predicted to be unimpressive. Isaiah 53, he grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. This is Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people will hide their face. Wow. Here's Satan. You can have all the authority and all the admiration. You can have all the authority, you can have all the splendor. And splendor isn't a bad thing. I mean, ultimately, when we get a description of what heaven will be, it's the most splendid place ever. But what Satan ultimately is offering here is simply a shortcut. He's offering a crown without a cross. He's saying, Jesus, if you want these things, if you want to have authority over this rebelling world, if you want to be liked by everybody, all you have to do is worship me. He is offering a shortcut, a cross without a crown. Because Jesus would knowingly have all authority and all splendor. Matthew 28, Jesus' great commission, he says, literally, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That's after the cross. In Hebrews 12, we have Jesus, who's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endures the cross, and now he is sat down at the throne of God. All right? Talk about splendor. That is after the cross. So de- the devil is simply making this offer. You can skip the cross and you can go right to glory. Isn't that what you really want? I can give it to you. This would have been very tempting 
Because even while I say this, all of us are, of course, Jesus is going to choose the cross. Because the cross was more horrific than you could ever imagine. For the one who is eternal, the king of all kings, being spit on, being beaten, being mocked, being rejected by those he came to save. You could get a shortcut around that. Does that sound good? You bet. You bet it sounds good. But what is the catch? Right? Have you ever been in a long conversation with a salesman? And it just sounds like he's giving you the better end of the deal, and you're like, mm, there's got to be a catch. No, really? You're getting everything. And that's what he says. He literally says, I will give all, all of it to you. What's the catch? Oh, it's just this small thing called worship. That's it. And most of us sign our name on that. Right? That's it? You're going to give me a shortcut around hardship and I just get success? Yeah, where do I sign? I'll worship whatever you want me to. And that is it. If you worship me, all of this will be yours. So what is worship and why is it so important that Jesus wouldn't take the shortcut around the cross? Worship is this. Worship is giving all of yourself fully to something. It is the highest form of honor and it is the humblest form of submission. All of that is embodied in worship. Let me say that again. Worship is giving yourself fully to something. It is the highest form of honor and it is the humblest form of submission. All that is embodied when you say, I'm going to go worship on a Sunday morning. It is you saying, I'm honoring God above all things. I'm going to humbly serve him with my entire life. And every time we worship, that is what happens. When the question says, what will man give in exchange for his soul? It should be worship. I'm going to worship because when I worship, I give my whole self, heart, soul, mind, and strength to something or someone. I'm literally giving my entire self over. And so to worship the devil would be ultimately replacing God on the throne of Jesus' heart. Jesus would have it all, but the devil would have Jesus. Right? That is what's happening here. And so the question when we talk about worship is literally this. What has you? Ask that to yourself. What has you? Because Jesus was the Father's. Now, if you're here and you, you, aren't a, you aren't a follower of Jesus, you're like, honestly, I don't even think a God exists. I don't just worship anything. I just want to read a quote for you that is so fascinating, but it's got a guy named David Foster Wallace and was not a follower of Jesus. Uh, wrote many books, actually ended up taking his own life. He was kind of this haunted genius. And this is what he wrote. He said, because... Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, Yahweh or Wiccan Mother Goddess or whatever, it's that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if, there are, uh, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough or never feel like you have enough. 
It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when the time and age starts showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally uh, grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified in myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. This is how he ends. He says, the whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. What is the truth, David Foster Wallace? Doesn't that ring like Pilate's question to Jesus? What is truth? And the truth is not what, but who stood before Pilate. Jesus was and is living and embodied truth. The response Jesus gives the devil isn't memorized words, but it's his actual life. It's who he is. It wasn't a recitation. It is where I am already worshiping, who I'm already worshiping. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I love... um, I'm reading a biography of Eugene Peterson called Burning in My Bones, amazing book. And uh, looked up his translation of this verse and he says, worship the Lord your God, only the Lord your God. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. Serve him with absolute single. And that is Jesus is simply saying, this is what I'm already doing. You're too late to the party, right? (laughs) You want me to worship you, but I'm already worshiping. My whole heart belongs to another. See, the reason Satan tempts Jesus is because he really wants to steal the reality of who Jesus is. He wants to steal his identity. He wants Jesus to never become who he is, which is the savior of the world. And Satan tempts you for the same reason. He wants to steal the reality of who you are and who you fully can be, which is sons and daughters of God. Right? I will give it all to you. I'll give you all the shortcuts you want if you worship me. And what he's doing is simply trying to steal your birthright as people who have put their faith in Jesus as sons and daughters of God. So how do we live into that? We live into that by boldly being and declaring what Jesus boldly lived and declared to Satan, which is this. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm going to fully give myself to another. I'm going to practice the highest form of honor and the humblest form of submission in my relationship with God. Jesus was so busy worshiping God that he wasn't impressed by Satan. <laughs> Would you take the bait? I think that, that kind of is the question we end with, right? What bait would entice us? What impresses you? Are you so busy worshiping God, so busy, like the song says we sang earlier, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Are you so full of honor for God and and humble submission to God that that whatever is brought in front of you, you're like, man, sorry, heart's already taken. Because we find if we compromise in this one thing, this one thing, Thing being worship and, and who, whose we are. Everything else falls apart. It is the linchpin on our lives, our relationships, our vocation. Everything is spiritual. Everything. Because it all comes down to this. Who are you worshiping? Now Jesus came 
so our worshiping can be restored. Because many have already signed on that dotted line. Many of us already live worshiping what the world has to offer. And to this I give you Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and his mercy being that Jesus did what you couldn't do. Jesus did what Adam and Eve failed to do. In view of his mercy, in view of him sending Jesus off your bodies, now as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, it is your true and proper worship. Not what you can do to God, but accepting what he has done for you by laying your life down so he can raise it up again. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And his will for you is that you will fully enjoy being sons and daughters of God. Not impressed by anything because you are so impressed by God. And this is a great time to do it, guys. There's nothing more impressive in all history than the death and resurrection of Jesus. Nothing more impressive in all history than the one who was above everything, making himself below all things so that in him we could have life and life to the fullest. So, if you are sitting in the place of temptation right now, if you're wondering where the allegiance of your heart lies right now, I invite you to do this act of worship, right? Whose are you? And to be so captivated, so worship-filled with love for God that you are no longer impressed by Satan. So I'm going to pray for us, and then after I pray for us, we are going to take communion together. Um, Communion is a great time to say, Jesus, I worship you above everything. And, and if you have worshiped something else, if there's something in your heart, and maybe even while you're sitting here, your mind keeps going here, right? Whatever that is, communion's a great time to just, like, Jesus, with your death, I want that to be dead, and in your life, I want to live. So I invite you, as we remember the death of Jesus in communion, to bring that to him. So pray with me. Jesus, you are our model who loved rightly. And because you worship the Father, you were able to do everything else. Every assignment you were given, every step you took, all the way to the cross, because you worshiped really well. God, teach us to sing again. Please teach us to worship. God, if our worship has been in the wrong direction, convict us by the power of your spirit, we pray. Help us to embrace the sacrifice and not look for a shortcut. Because there's no authority like the authority you have right now. There's no splendor like the splendor of heaven and all that's ours. We just worship you, spend our life worshiping you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.